As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. It's time for us to talk about this week's big thing. If you're new to the show or to this sort of episode, we like to close out the week by discussing a major story we haven't yet had the time to fully explore. This week, it's Unai Emery's appointment at Aston Villa. Three years after getting sacked by Arsenal, Unai Emery returns to the Premier League with a point to prove. He takes over at Aston Villa after the club sacked Steven Gerrard for a string of bad results that culminated in a disheartened squad and an incensed fan base. What went wrong for Gerard? What will Unai Emery bring to Villa? And what represents success for a club who have a stated objective of being the best of the rest? Here with me to answer those and many other questions is a man who, as far as I know, has never been sacked after hundreds of people sang very angry songs at him. It's Graham Ruffin. Hi, Graham. <laughs> Hi, Taylor Rockwell. Well, what I would say is you've only known me really for the last couple years, and there's a lot in my past that I have hidden from you today. See, this is my concern. So I, I, I was trying to figure, like, like maybe if you worked at a supermarket at some point and you just did a really bad job at checkout, the line built up, maybe they organized a song. Mm. But I really struggle to think of of a moment in normal life in which like hundreds of people would be uh, <laughs> sort of forcing you out of a position. It's basically soccer and politics and in politics mm. that tends to go south pretty quickly. So I, I worked in pubs when I was younger. And all that I'm going to say is do it. I, yeah. I was not good at pouring the pints of Guinness. So there you go. <laughs> Those can be tricky. Those can be tricky. And everybody tricky. seems to have very particular views about how exactly it needs to be done. Uh, and when those people give you those specific instructions, it's just an immediate sign that we don't need to be friends. So, Graham, you and I could be friends and bond over our inability oh, to pour Guinness. Uh, we can also be friends and bond over our enthusiasm for talking about Unai Emery and Steven Gerrard and Aston Villa. But that is where I kind of want to start this episode, Graham, because we tend to focus the big thing on exactly that, like the very big stories, the major things, the breaking yep. news of the day. And this one, Arsenal's like sacked former manager uh, moving from a Spanish club back to the Premier League uh, to take over a team that are 15th in the table, uh, three points from the relegation zone. It doesn't seem like it should be that big of news. And yet it is. And to me, it's really exciting news at that. Yeah, so I think you have three parts of this discussion. You have the, the Steven Gerrard part, and obviously you have the, the name recognition of Steven Gerrard being one of the best ever Premier League players, one of England's, or certainly one of his, his best English players, the best English players of the generation. Mm -hmm. And what kind of went wrong for him at Aston Villa? And I think we're going to talk about why there wasn't that connection with the fans. So that, that's an interesting part. The second part of it is obviously Unai Emery, who, He's kind of thought of as an elite level manager, but anytime he's take, made the step up to PSG or Arsenal, he's, he's, he's been found out in a, in a sense, and he's maybe not been most comfortable at that level, despite the incredible success that he's had in, in the Europa League and European competition and in Spain as well. And then the third part of it is obviously the club, Aston Villa. And while Aston Villa are sitting 15th in, in the Premier League table right now at relative threat of of relegation i think that's why they have they've sacked steven gerrard was that that fear was growing that they might end up in a 
in a relegation scrap this season. But that kind of betrays the size of Aston Villa as a club. They are yeah. traditionally an English football superpower. Of course, they've won the European Cup in the past. There's only a handful of Eng- English clubs that have done that. Aston Villa are one of them. And so I think that warrants discussion because there is a sense among the the Aston Villa fan base that Unai Emery being one of the best, certainly one of the, be- the best tacticians, if not managers, in European football, that maybe he is the guy to probably not take them back to the top to the top of European football because I don't even know if that's possible for anyone with Aston Villa at this point, but take them further up the, the, the Premier League. And as you said, their, their stated aim is to be best of the rest. So is Unai Emery the guy who can achieve that for them? Uh, and spoiler alert, I think he is. I think this is a really almost perfect appointment. I didn't think that when it first happened. I think because I do sort of overinflate his time at Arsenal, uh, the failure to communicate. And honestly, I think I was also overinflating sort of the unfair coverage of him and making that part of who he was. And when you remove that and look at where he's had success, how much success he's had, and the way he has had it, it does seem like exactly what Villa are looking for. So I think there are so many exciting things about what could happen under Unai Emery. First, we should talk about what did happen under Steven Gerrard. Graham, it could be a very lengthy conversation, but uh, yeah. broadly speaking, let's get into it and talk about what went wrong under Gerrard and for Steven Gerrard at... Uh, Villa, starting with what was his his we're going to go even further back. What was the kind of blueprint that he brought from Rangers to Villa? Because reading about him when he was first appointed, he had this Mm -hmm. very sweeping presentation for the Villa board about what his aspirations were, what his goals were, what his ideas were, how he was going to get them playing this brand of soccer, how he was going to modernize the team. And everybody seemed to be on board. So what was that blueprint that he had established in Scotland? Yeah, so Stephen Gerrard, he was appointed Aston Villa manager in November of, of last year, and it seemed at the time like it was a pretty ambitious uh, appointment for Villa. So he'd won the Scottish title with, with uh, Rangers the season before, their first title since their financial meltdown a, a decade ago. So I know maybe listeners are thinking, well, Rangers and Celtic, they share the title among themselves, and traditionally that is certainly the case. But Rangers hadn't won a title in a long time. Celtic seemed to have this unassailable lead at the top of Scottish football, and Gerrard uh, changed that, and Rangers won a title under him he'd got them back into European football as well which was a big deal not only that they'd achieved some some success in European football so they'd made the the quarterfinals of the Europa League so Gerrard at that point obviously you factor in the the fact that he is a a household name in the UK the fact that he is Steven Gerrard and he was highly rated at that point so it was a bit of a coup for Aston Villa to to, to get him at that moment he'd obviously been spoken about as a potential uh, future Liverpool manager obviously due to his, his links there and the idea was that Villa was the perfect place for Gerrard to get to grips with the Premier League and then make the step up. Um, so the first thing to mention for for what went wrong with Steven Gerrard, Aston Villa manager, is this whole notion of, of what I've just said there, of him using Villa as a springboard to another Premier League job. And that just did not sit well with the Aston Villa fans. And I think that was one of the key things that created that disconnect between Gerrard and, and the Villa support. Um, it's looking at how he used how he achieved success at Rangers he's always been quite defense minded so his his teams play conservative football which might seem a bit strange for someone who was so attack minded as 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 a player but I think you need to remember the managers that Gerard played under at Liverpool so Gerard Hulley Rafa Benitez these were these were guys with conservative ideas and so that's where Gerard got his his grounding as a as a coach so when he comes into Aston Villa it very much feels like he's shoring up the defense that was something that he did at, at, at Rangers. And at first, he achieved some relative success. So Aston Villa, under Dean Smith, they were kind of in free fall at that point. They um, they had, as they do now, have had fears of relegation. Gerrard comes in and they do move gradually away from the bottom of the Premier League table. They finished 14th last season. So not really a, a terribly impressive result outcome that season. But when you consider when he came in that they were getting sucked into that relegation battle it gave him a platform to build on. And so that the idea was that Villa would get into the top half this season, they would continue to build. And that's where things started to to fall apart. And actually, I think it started to fall apart for Gerrard when, and I think this is important to, to talk about when you're, you're talking about Steven Gerrard at the moment, it started to fall apart for him when Michael Beale, who was his assistant, he left Villa in June to become a manager in his own right at QPR. And Michael Beale, for anyone who doesn't know, he was a coach at Liverpool. That's how Gerrard got to know him. He is really widely recognised as being one of the sharpest tactical minds in English football at the moment. And that is certainly, 
He's bolstered that reputation at QPR. They're doing very well in the championship this season. He's a guy, he's an interesting guy. He's, he went and coached in Brazil with Sao Paulo. And so there's this notion of him. He's not a proper football man. He's got modern ideas on, on, on football. And he had really been key to Gerard's success at Rangers and key to that, that first season at Aston Villa. And there was a telling clip from an interview with Emmy Martinez, the, the, the Aston Villa goalkeeper. He openly says that he'd, he'd never come across an assistant who takes so much control of a team. So he took, Biola meaning, meaning he took all the, the training sessions. He did the, the tactical game plans. And Martinez says that he considered Gerard and Biel to be dual managers, which is quite something mm-hmm. to say from a, from a player. I think at this point he was talking about his, uh, his current manager as well in Steven Gerrard. So this was a huge blow for, for Steven Gerrard to, to lose his, his, his partner, his footballing partner over, over the summer. And it just, it just started to fall apart from that point. Gerrard at, at Rangers, he built this defensively strong team that was very effective in moments of quick transition. It seemed like he wanted to do similar at Aston Villa. The second part of that, the attacking part, it just it just never happened for him at Aston Villa. They were a dreadfully dull team towards the end of Gerrard's time. And that was despite them having a pretty talented squad in terms of attacking options. So if you look at that squad, Ollie Watkins, Danny Ings, Liam Bailey, Buendia, Philip Coutinho, Jacob Ramsey, like these these are good attacking players. And as we saw in Gerrard's first or, or rather Aston Villa's first match after Gerrard left. Um, they, they, yeah. we saw what they can do as an attacking team. They absolutely smashed Brentford 4-0 in that game. So it did fall apart pretty quickly for Gerard. I think the fans were unhappy with how his team was playing, the style of football. They also never had that connection with Steven Gerrard in that final game at, at, at Craven Cottage where Villa get soundly beaten by Fulham. You have Aston Villa fans chanting, you'll, you'll never work again, which is obviously, it's obviously quite funny in a sense, but you, you can't, you can't come back from that as a, as a manager where your own fans are almost enjoying your demise. Yeah. And I don't think we've, we've seen anything that toxic towards a manager at a Premier League club, probably since Steve Bruce was at Newcastle last season. That's how, that's how bad it got for Gerard, and it just became an untenable situation. I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing at the idea. Like that's, that's how volatile the Premier League is. Like we haven't seen anything like that all the way since, well, last season with Newcastle. <laughs> uh, and, but, but I think, I think you're absolutely right with everything you've said. I, I have a few follow up points there, starting with that result this past weekend, because to, I think, you know, like, uh, we watch so much soccer. There's so much happening that it's difficult to remember. Like specific games, especially if it's a team that you you don't follow as your own, and so I think I had in my mind that it started out with Jared's teams kind of winning emphatically and being entertaining, and he was harnessing all of this talent. And to hear supporters and journalists who cover the team talk about how this was the result that fans have been waiting for under Gerard and that they never got. And then you go back and look and yet there weren't those sort of emphatic wins. There weren't those, oh, it's clicking and we score three, four, five goals, whatever it may be. It was sort of up and down, somewhat entertaining, but not at the best of times. And so I, I assumed that was revisionist history. But looking back, it was never that sort of like, oh, they are flying and he's got this team figured out. And even in the moments that they were, a lot of the time from my reading, it was like, oh, this really interesting tactical adjustment that was made at halftime. Oh, this substitution that changed the formation that took control of the game. And that then makes me wonder if that's all, or at least largely Michael Beal making those yeah. adjustments, especially if they are that sort of co-manager status, even if that's unofficially. So I think there's a lot to be said for the way the team played and how those changes happened. But I also think there's been uh, plenty of coverage about the way Gerard made decisions the decisions he made, and then how those were covered in the media. The main one being uh, Tyrone Mings being removed as captain. And essentially, the the story that I believe in, uh, the story that is reported, is that he uh, strips Tyrone Mings of the captaincy. Uh, Tyrone Mings, a very popular player amongst the squad and amongst the fan base. Uh, and when asked why, basically, the kind of answer is, like, he knows what he needs to do. He needs to look me in the eye. And, like, I, and it felt like he was saying... You know, he's got to up his performance. He's just not been good enough. And, and I think right there, it's interesting to me that like maybe he just, maybe he didn't care about messaging Gerard. Maybe he wasn't as concerned with that. But I think that's a mark against him because the way 
as I understand it, the situation was Tyrone Mings was carrying an injury and, and was basically removed as captain because he wasn't going to be playing because he had this injury. And when asked when he would return, I think Jared was trying to say, like, you know, he's got to tell me when he feels good enough to return. He's got to tell me, yep, I feel fully fit. Our medical staff can say he's fully fit, but it's up to the player to tell me, yep, I'm good to go. But the way he phrased it and the way he said it in that moment, it comes across as like, he's got to prove to me. He's got to look me in the eye. It carries these negative connotations. And when you don't then correct them, it starts to seem like you're calling out this very popular player for not being good enough. And it starts to, I think, set things in motion in a negative way. And that, and that happened after the opening game of the season, right? That was the, the, the yeah, Bournemouth so. defeat in the first game. So even though that, that yeah, Fulham, that Fulham uh, defeat was obviously the end for Gerrard, that first defeat in the first game of the season to a promoted team, and a promoted team that I don't think many people expected much of this season, that for me was the, the start of the demise for Stephen Gerrard as Aston Villa manager. And, and, and Taylor, you actually had, I think, a, a, a firmer finger on the pulse of this story than, than I did because I remember you asking me maybe two or three games into this season, you, you asked me a question about Stephen Gerrard and Aston Villa. And it was along the lines of, is, is Stephen Gerrard doing a good job at Aston Villa? <laughs> and at that point, I mean, I wasn't looking too closely at Aston Villa yeah. at that point. But I think I said something like, ah, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's doing a decent job. But quite clearly, at, at already that early in the season, I think Aston Villa fans had started to turn against Steven yes. Gerrard. There was the loss of Michael Beale, which we've obviously referenced. There was this internal um, war between Gerrard and Tyrone Mings, who, as you say, is a very popular player. And then obviously you had the poor performances and also poor results. And, and really, at that point, I think Aston Villa fans really felt that they, they could do better than, than Steven Gerrard. And from that point on, it, it, it kind of passed the point of no return, I think. One final point on Steven Gerrard's tenure, specifically the end of it. Uh, you said something interesting in there, Graham, that uh, I think is like one of the things that is probably common sense to you, and maybe it's common sense to most people, but I'm not sure it is for everybody, especially Americans. Uh, so you can lose the home supporters. That can happen because they can be a little bit more fickle. You might have some people who attend intermittently. You might have people traveling who are there and everybody's booing. So why don't I boo? It tends to be a bigger issue, as I understand it, when the away supporters are booing you, when you go away and those Villa supporters are still yelling at you. Why is that a bigger deal? I think generally because that tends to be the the hardcore support. So at a home match, you might have some fair weather fans who obviously are just uh, particularly in, pre- in Premier League games where you have big stadiums and obviously there's an attraction to go into Premier League games. You might have some fair weather fans who are just there for the day. Maybe they don't come to many games in a season, but the away, fa- away fans tend to be the guys. They're at the, they're at the home games as well. You and just so said that with the most American accent I've ever heard you use. You said like away fans. I, I don't think I've ever heard you not have a Scottish accent. That was jarring for a moment. Sorry. Away blokes. Sorry. Go. Away okay, blokes. now we're back in. Now we're back in. Yeah. Whew. So if no, you lose the away story. blokes, you're finished essentially in, in, in Premier League football because that is the hardcore they're the ones they're, they're the 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 trendsetters the taste setters if, if if you will and Gerard very much towards the end <laughs> lost those guys as I say they were kind of reveling in in his uh in his demise in that Fulham match yeah because for me I'm a United supporter I remember when like Old Trafford would be ringing out with Ole out or Mourinho out but then the away games you would still hear the manager's name being yep. chanted in a positive way but it does seem to be when you lose the away supporters as well that's really the the final nail and we found that out when Gerard was sacked and then uh, allowed to go on about his business no he wasn't he got on the plane and had to take a or bus excuse me and had to take a bus ride back to the midlands a rough one for Steven Gerrard. Well, we, uh, well, we, he, he was begging for a plane. A plane to, to yes. the Midlands is like yes. 30 minutes, but a yeah. bus a bus is like three or four hours. They, they chose the slowest possible form of transport. It, it was a bus or, you know, a tuk-tuk or something like that that, he, that Aston Villa were going to force him to take one of those back to Birmingham. Oh, poor Steven Gerrard, I guess, sort of. Kind of. He's fine. He'll be all right. He'll get another gig. It'll be okay. Uh, let's take a break. Let's come back and talk about Unai Emery and his appointment at Villa. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. When last we left you, Steven Gerrard had been relieved of his managerial duties by Aston Villa, who now needed a manager. Uh, by all accounts, they had been sounding out potential candidates even before Gerrard was sacked. It seemed like writing was kind of on the wall. We talked about this on Weekend Review, but Gerrard, the decision to sack him was made in the middle of the Fulham game, so that tells you about where the board was. Uh, the board reaches out to Mauricio Pochettino. He reportedly turns them down or isn't interested in Villa at the time. So then... They continue the search, and they end up with Unai Emery. Now, it does sound like there were some other people being discussed or some other conversations being had, but ultimately, Emery was the one that they wanted to make official. I want to talk, Graham, about what he will bring to Villa, how he will fit with this team, who will embrace the tactics, who might not love his training, all that sort of thing. But first, we should give... A bit of an explainer on Unai Emery, because I think for a lot of people, he's the failed Arsenal manager who also was at PSG for a little while, but then maybe does things in the Europa League. So uh, let's maybe go back to Arsenal, shall we? What went wrong for Unai Emery at Arsenal? So it felt like Emery, looking back at why he took that job at Arsenal, to me anyway, it felt like Emery wanted the club rather than than the actual job when he was at Arsenal. Um, I'll try and make a distinction there. So he knew that it was a big position. He was succeeding Arsene Wenger, who obviously is a Premier League legend, but it was just never the right fit for him in terms of how Arsenal expected their teams to play, what they wanted Unai Emery to, to, to be. And there was a quote from Emery in his first press conference where he said he'd rather win 5-4 than, than 1-0. And that kind of felt like pandering to the Arsenal support because what we've seen from Unai Emery and, Emery, and what I should say about Unai Emery is he's not a manager who... It's going to be, it's quite difficult to nail down what his uh, kind of trademark style of play is. He, he switches between formations. So he's used a, a 4-4-2 at Villarreal. He used a 3-5-2 at Arsenal. At PSG, he used a 4-3-3. So it's not like he has a, a Klopp or, or someone who uses a, a specific formation or style of play at every club that he goes to. He does adapt to the situation. We even saw this last season with Villarreal in the Champions League against Bayern Munich in the, in, 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 in the Champions League quarterfinal, where the first leg, Villarreal played this expansive, possession-heavy game and really could have won more than 1-0 in that first leg against Bayern Munich. They then go into the second leg at the Allianz Arena and they play a much more conservative, compact game and they pick off Bayern Munich on, on, on quick transition in moments of counter-attack. So that kind of tells you all you need to know about Unai Emery. But what I will say is, at his, at his core level... He does like organized football. Mm-hmm. His default setting tends to be more on the conservative side. And obviously those things are not some, those are not things that you would align with Arsenal's identity as a club. And I think Emery, he wanted to be more reactive than Arsenal fans wanted, where they demand their team dominate most games with possession and that they be up in the halfway line. And basically they want their team to play the way that they're playing right now yeah. under, under Mikel Arteta. And that, that was just something that Emery was not able to do. He might argue that he might he didn't have the players to play in a, an attacking style of play, but it just it just felt like a bad fit. And actually, I would say PSG was a bad fit for Unai Emery as well. So he's had two shots at no disrespect to clubs like Sevilla. Sevilla, obviously, a, a big team in their own right. Villarreal are they're constantly or consistently in the Champions League. No disrespect to those sort of clubs, but he's had two shots at I would say elite level clubs, PSG and Arsenal. And I think both times they've been bad fits for him. So yeah. it kind of feels like Unai Emery has never really had a fair shot in terms of proving himself at the elite level. And it's kind of funny to think of his career and try and place him where where he is in European management at the moment. And I, I'm going to draw, I'm going to use a tennis analogy here. I know you love those, Taylor, when I, when I use a t- tennis analogy. And, and, I love and I know this will mean nothing to you, but maybe some listeners will get it. So, add in, you know, Graham, add in. <laughs> Unai Emery is Thomas Berditch, right? So he's not quite one of the best. He's not Klopp, he's not Guardiola, he's not Conte, he's not Roger Feather, he's not Rafael Nadal, any of those guys. But he is also better than the rest. He gets a shot at the big time every so often. He doesn't necessarily succeed in taking those shots. 
but he he he's too good. He's not good enough for the elite, but he's too good for the pack below that. And that's why that's kind of meant as a compliment, actually. That's why this feels like such an ambitious and such an impressive appointment for Aston Villa, because as you said at the top of the show, they're sitting 15th in the Premier League right now and haven't had a, a great deal of success over the last few years. So getting someone like Unai Emery for Arsenal, maybe that was a bad fit, and that's an underwhelming appointment for them. But again, not to be disrespectful to another club, no disrespect to Aston Villa, but for Aston Villa, that kind of feels like a, a, a very suitable appointment and the sort of guy that really could lift them up. Uh, for people who are not as familiar with Thomas Berdich as I am, um, and this is all from memory, he's a Czech former professional tennis player. His most notable achievement was reaching the final of the 2010 Wimbledon Championships, causing consecutive upsets by defeating top seed and six-time champion Roger Federer in the quarterfinals and number three Novak Djokovic in the semifinals, and he lost to Rafael Nadal in straight sets in the final. So I think that works wow. really well. Yeah. Again, all from memory. Spot all from on. memory. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's a that's a great analogy, Graham, because it's it's basically uh, a, a person who is is not going to be the favorite necessarily and maybe enjoys that a little bit enjoys the kind of punching up there and, and I think that is a good way to understand Unai Emery because he that's kind of who he is as a player he has uh, time with Real Sociedad with Toledo with Leganes like not, you know not Barcelona not Real Madrid not Atleti uh, and then with his managerial career he starts uh, with uh, I think Almeria maybe there's one more before Almeria but then Valencia he's in Russia then Sevilla and he wins the Europa League three times and it becomes this thing of Sevilla always win the Europa League, Monchi is the greatest scouting director there is and Unai Emery knows how to win the Europa League gets that gig with PSG that doesn't go well and I think you're absolutely right uh, because plenty of people have struggled at PSG so that does seem like maybe that wasn't ever going to be the smartest thing to go from the you're the team that like uh, nobody expects anything of so you have the freedom to kind of play how you want to play and get the results and the results are all that matter whereas with PSG the results are expected and then it's well you're also expected to get them in a beautiful 5-0 sort of way uh, which sets the stage for Arsenal where I, I, I see why Arsenal wanted him. I see why he wanted that gig, certainly. But it did feel like it was always going to be a really difficult task. And in some ways, it ends up feeling for me, I can't find a better way to explain it other than that, like he's a little bit cannon fodder coming in after Arsene Wenger, that he's the one who has to kind of try to like change the style that has been baked in under Wenger. He has to change the philosophy of recruitment. He has to deal with players who are there who aren't really fitting in or don't really need to be there anymore. And it's worth noting that like Mesut Ozil, I believe, is not sold until after Unai Emery leaves. Aubameyang certainly is not. But those are two players who Mikel Arteta immediately has issues with. And that starts with Unai Emery. And I, and I just wonder if when you're the new manager coming in, if the board is going to look at you and think like, yeah, well, you know, those guys like Arsene Wenger had a reason for bringing them in. So you got to find a, made a way to make it work. Whereas when Mikel Arteta comes in, it's, oh, that's two managers now who maybe haven't done well with them and now you're saying they're not good okay and so I wonder if there is some of the current arsenal is sort of thanks to Unai Emery to some extent now I will add his recruitment or recruitment under him was not great uh spent a lot of money for a number of players the majority of whom are no longer with uh, arsenal either permanently or are out on loan but I think by all accounts, Unai Emery feels a little bit hard done by from his time at Arsenal, that I think he felt like there was so much that needed to be changed, so much about the mentality, the philosophy of the club and the squad itself, about how training was conducted, the discipline needed to to play in his system and to function in the Premier League. And I think he came away feeling like he didn't really get a fair shake or didn't get enough time uh, in his time at Arsenal. They finish fifth in his first season. They make the Europa League final, as he is wont to do. They lose to Chelsea. And so... It doesn't necessarily feel like things have been completely turned around, but uh, in Wenger's last season, they were sixth. So, okay, they've moved up one spot. They made the Europa League final. Would have been great if they won that one. But then it really does just in that second season, it doesn't seem like things are clicking. There's disharmony in the squad. They're not getting the results, and he's dismissed in November. Mm. Uh, And at that point, it sort of felt to me like, okay, that, that might be the last we see of Unai Emery until he sort of at a big club, that is, until he like reestablishes himself, wins some things, proves that he can maybe balance with or like handle things with more of a budget and more expectation on him. He goes to Villarreal and uh, and goes on to win the Europa League again. Graham, it's just what he does. He wins the Europa League, or at the very least, makes <laughs> it's the a final. love story. It's yeah. a real romance. <laughs> uh, would you agree with, with how I kind of summarized his time at Arsenal? 
Yeah, absolutely. One thing I would add is the recruitment was bad under Unai Emery, yeah. but obviously that isn't really, he would argue that wasn't down yeah, to him. And I true. think the above Unai Emery, Arsenal were still figuring some things out. So obviously Arsenal fans will remember Sven Mislintat, who was, who was supposed to be the, the new, his official title was a bit weird. He actually wasn't a sporting director. He was something like head of scouting or something like that. But Mislintat had been at Dortmund for a number of years. He was the guy credited with finding all their amazing young players. Arsenal getting him was a bit of a coup. And so it was meant to be Mislintat and Unai Emery. Mislintat then wasn't really given the autonomy that he wanted. It didn't really work and it wasn't really until Edu Gaspar comes in as the sporting director and he does have that autonomy and he comes in, I believe, in the summer of 2019, which is just before Unai Emery leaves Arsenal. So that kind of feels like with with Emery leaving that that's Edu putting his stamp on the team. Obviously, Mikel Arteta comes in. Arteta and Edu seem to have a good relationship. So you could argue that Edu appointed his man as soon as as, as he could. And Edu's transfer record since he has come in has been a lot stronger. And that has in turn helped Mikel Arteta. And Unai Emery didn't really have that help. He didn't have the structure above him, even though there were actually people above him at Arsenal. It very much felt like after Wenger, Arsenal were in a similar position to Manchester United where they were losing a manager who just had control over everything. They never really had to think about scouting and transfers because Wenger did all of that. And even though they brought in some guys to try and ease that transition, they, they just hadn't figured things out yet. And I think Emery was a bit of a victim of that. Yeah, so he, he is the victim of that. He goes to uh, Villarreal. They have the uh, success they, they did in the form of winning the Europa League. That qualifies them for the Champions League. They have a great run last season. And it's worth pausing on that, not just to point out that Villarreal have the run they do and almost, I believe, uh, play Liverpool very close. And, and I think that was in the semifinal. Uh, but knock out some big teams along the way. And it's around, I think, between the group stage and the knockout that he is contacted by Newcastle, who who wanted him. That was their first choice or one of their first choices for manager. Um, and at the time, he felt like, I've got this team. We've made it to the knockout rounds. It doesn't feel like it's the right time to leave. But again, from everything I've read, uh, it sounds like he very much wanted another shot at the Premier League, wanted to sort of show that that was an outlier that wasn't really a fair representation of what he can do as a manager in England. Uh, and But he doesn't want to jump ship from Villarreal at that time. They end up getting eliminated from the Champions League in the semifinals. And then I, I think, again, from Spanish experts or Spanish football experts, it sounds like the conventional feeling is because they get so focused on the Champions League, their domestic form falters. They finished seventh last season, which puts them into the Europa Conference. And so now when Villa come calling, it's Villarreal, in the Europa Conference, that's maybe less of a glamorous thing. It doesn't feel like maybe that's the the thing that's going to spark this run and get this team playing. And so I think at that point, he feels more comfortable leaving. Villarreal do not love that he has left. I think it was a bit of a surprise that that he, uh, when the initial contact from Villa came through, and I think it was even more of a surprise that he was open to it and wanted to depart because this is a Villarreal team that, as I said, we're in the Champions League last season, have an expectation to be there. The same cannot be said of Aston Villa, who are 15th in the table right now. And I think, like, in their biggest possible dream is to maybe one day finish fourth. <laughs> like, I, so I think it shows the appeal of the money in the Premier League, but I think it also shows that Unai Emery seems to feel like he has some unfinished business in that league. Absolutely. I think that has been a, a motivation for Unai Emery. And my, my initial instinct that, that is that Villa will be a good fit for him. Yep, so Villa agreed. are a big club so there's a high ceiling for him there but it, there's not the weight of expectation that there was at PSG and, and at Arsenal so at exactly. Arsenal as, as I've already said there was also the at Arsenal the expectation to play a, a style of football that wasn't necessarily his I can't quite remember his PSG tenure is it feels so long ago that I can't really remember I think it's just because PSG have rattled through so many managers since then I can't really remember what the expectation was but you would think with PSG I mean, that the, the attacking players that they have yeah same sort he of won thing the, he won, won the league he won the cup I think he won two cups or three cups maybe four cups there but none of them were the Champions League so not good enough yeah, yeah. And and in terms of the style of play as well, I think at PSG, you know, they, they, they expect a, an attractive style of style of play. And that just really isn't Emery's. Not that his teams play bad football or unattractive football, but it's it's not kind of gung-ho, uh, all-out attack football. And, and that was what PSG expected, I think, from him. Um, and he works better at clubs where he has the freedom to, by and large, mould that team in the way that he wants. 
and you look at teams like uh, Villarreal and Sevilla. By the way, there is a trend here of Unai Emery picking teams with Villa in the name. So Sevilla, Villarreal, now he's at there we go. the real Villa. Um, and it feels like it will be a good fit for him. The the squad, I think, this might not be what Villa fans want to hear after being scarred by the, the conservative football of Stephen Gerrard. But the squad, because Gerrard did want to have that conservative base, and that is somewhat similar to what Unai Emery wants to achieve as well, the, the squad has already kind of been tailored to that to that style. So I expect Unai Emery to come in. He will prioritise the defence first in terms of the, the formation that he favours. I couldn't really predict it because, as I say, he's used a 4-4-2. He's used a 3-5-2. He's used a 4-3-3 in the past. So I wouldn't like to make any predictions on how Aston Villa will play in terms of their shape. But he likes his his goalkeepers and his defenders who are comfortable in the ball he, he, he likes them to play out from the back. He wants his team to draw out opposition sides so that they can, they can then move through the lines quickly with possession and get into quick transition. I don't know if Villa have the, have the, the defenders to necessarily play the way that Emery wants on, on the ball, but they do have players like Leon Bailey and, and, uh, Ollie Watkins and Jacob Ramsey, who I think Emery will like in those moments of quick mm. transition. So that, when he comes in, it will largely be about just moving Aston Villa away from the bottom of the table. But beyond that, it does kind of feel like this squad is a pretty decent fit for him. And not just the squad, but the the club as well. I agree. I want to talk more about that. I want to talk more about how the fit might go, how the tactics might be, which players will fit in there. Uh, First, let's take one more break. Let's come back and uh, finish things up. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Welcome back. We are talking about Unai Emery at Villa. Now we've made it that far. He is now there. We're going to talk about how it's going to go. Except that I first want to draw a distinction, Graham, or ask you if you agree with this one. Uh, we used to get the question, what is the difference between a manager and a coach? Mm. And I think, broadly speaking, they kind of get used interchangeably. Uh, yeah. But I think that is, I, I think more specifically, incorrect. That there is a distinction. And in my mind, a manager is someone who is obviously overseeing the game and the tactics, but also uh, the training, the recruitment, the scouting, how things operate on a day-to-day basis, whereas the coach is more about the team itself and the tactics, and that's about it. So first of all, would you agree with that distinction? And second of all, if so, is it fair to say that Unai Emery is more of a coach than a manager? So first of all, yes, I, I do agree with that distinction. I am guilty of using manager and coach in, interchangeably. I think that's the writer in me. So you need the, the kind of repetition yeah. when you're, yeah, when you're writing. And so you can't just use manager every time. So I tend to switch between manager. I'll use manager first, then I'll go to coach and then I'll go to boss. And that's kind of my, my rotation. A manager and a coach, though, you're right. They are technically different things. And the way I would think of it, the distinction that I would make is quite a simple one, to be honest. I think of what, uh, uh, a manager does on the training ground. So we talked about Michael Beale and Steven Gerrard. I would have Steven Gerrard very much down as, as a manager. He, his job is to manage the group as a whole and Michael Beale is the coach. So he does a lot of the tactical stuff. He'll do the training sessions. On the flip side of that, you'll get a lot of managers who take all that sort of thing into their remit and that is part of their job. And you look at someone like Eric Ten Hag. So that's, that's a, that's another good comparison. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, very much a manager. He had uh, Kieran McKenna, I think, and, and Mick Phelan, who were very much the, the coaches. And now they have Eric Ten Hag, who is a, a coach manager. He will do a lot of the tactical stuff himself. Yeah. And that is Unai Emery. From everything, everything I read, he is the one who will be doing the analysis of oppositions. One, of the, one word that's always mentioned with Unai Emery is detail. Yep. The amount of preparation that he puts in for games is ridiculous maybe unhealthy to a certain extent i read that he watched 17 manchester united matches 
uh, went before Villarreal's Euro- Europa League final against Manchester United two seasons ago. That that's like more matches than I watch in a weekend, which is is too many matches. That is the gauge. That that is too many matches yeah. to watch. And sometimes, sometimes the criticism of Unai Emery is that he overloads his players with instructions and he takes away that autonomy and he takes away that in-game intelligence and, and players are almost frozen by the, by the amount of information that has been loaded onto them by, by Unai Emery. But that is one thing the Villa players can expect is a lot of preparation. And that is just another thing that feeds into this, this idea and this conclusion that I'm drawing that Gerard was a manager. Unai Emery is very much a coach. Yeah. I want I want to talk about the amount of preparation he does there because uh, every now and then you hear that story about like uh, a, a stand up did a, a seven hour set they smashed the record for the longest stand up special ever and to me I forget which comic it was that responded with like that's like bragging about having the world's shiniest trumpet it's like it's not about what the trumpet looks like it's about <laughs> how you play it and I think sometimes. Like uh, Soccer by Numbers, I think it was, has a whole thing about Roberto Martinez and all the stuff he watches. And I'm sure Roberto Martinez does as much preparation and Unai Emery. I feel like I already should have gone down this road. Just that sometimes it feels like there's this, he watches 19 games in a weekend. And and that doesn't seem to be for a purpose all the time. Whereas with Unai Emery... It definitely does because uh, I was listening to a podcast about this topic and uh, there had been interviews with former players where they basically said he had enough information to be able to say this is what this defender is going to do in this exact moment. If you get him like in the half space in this area of the pitch when you are doing this, he will do this. And if he does that, you can do this and then this will happen. Like he he has it to that degree of preparation that then when that happened in the game and he was correct, it's just this instant like, oh, he knows we're never going to doubt him again. But I think it's about being able to get to the point where you can process all that, understand what he's asking you to do and then doing it all in the moment. And that seems to be, I think, where the breakdown, in my mind at least, was at Arsenal, that I I don't know if there was enough of the buy-in there, and I don't know if there was enough time for it to be truly his team. You have to do what he says or you're out the door. And I do think that is very much what will happen at Villa. Uh, Not the Arsenal thing, but more so the he is being brought in for this to be his team. I'm going to assume that that was a thing that he was very clear about in the beginning. And so there may be players who don't like that amount of information. And my assumption is that they will be told to kick rocks uh, because this is about bringing him in, bringing this high-profile manager to be successful. And the way you do that is by listening to all of his many, 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 many details that he has for you. Yeah, and I think Emery, I swear I'm going to loop this back around to be a, a relevant point, but I think at Arsenal, he had a... He had a communication problem, and, I, and I'm not talking about the you know the good evening nonsense that, that you hear about on, on on social media. I'm talking about communicating ideas not just to his players, but to the fans and creating a, a narrative and creating a larger purpose. And and he never did that at Arsenal. Um, he didn't take Arsenal along with him in this in in the same way that Gerard didn't take Villa along with him. And if you think of the of the most successful managers in 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 the game at the moment, you know Pep Klopp. Antonio Conte at clubs that aren't called uh, Tottenham Hotspur. They all they all do that. They all get the fans inside. They they communicate a, a purpose, and that was that was an issue for Emery at Arsenal, and, and and I do wonder if that could be a problem for, again for him at Aston Villa when he is trying to communicate these intricate ideas to players. We've talked about the preparation that he puts into games, the the dossier of of tactics that he hands to players. He almost expects players to do homework, you know, players. Uh, for other clubs, they, they go home and they, they watch uh, Prison Break. It seems like Prison Break is the show that all Premier League footballers watch. That's that's mm. really weird. I was I was watching uh, Guy Neville interview Virgil van Dijk and it was Prison Break that he said. It's always Prison, prison Break, honestly. It's a trend that I've noticed. Premier League players love Prison Break. Anyway, Odd. loop this back round. They don't really have much rel- relaxation, Unai Emery players. They get sent home and they get told to do their homework and, and their analysis. And when Unai Emery... This is very rich for for me to criticise him uh, for his for his grasp of English because I don't speak any other uh, language other than English in this ridiculous accent. But his English wasn't very good at Arsenal, and, and and I can't imagine it's improved much since he's been at Villarreal. And when you are so focused on the details as as a coach, that could be a bit of a problem. So I'm yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see how how he fares in that regard at Villa. 
That's really interesting and not a thing I had considered. And I think it then becomes incumbent upon the club itself to control some of the messaging. Because as we said, we've both heard they want to be the best of the rest. That you look at some of the players they've brought in, like Felipe Coutinho, that caliber of player, that name and that attacking ability, it's going to immediately make the fans think we're going to win games. We're going to be creative. We're going to be exciting. We're going to be attacking. We're going to outscore them five to four. Exactly what happened when he went to Arsenal. And and I think that can create false expectations for what life under Unai Emery is going to be. And that's where I genuinely think the club should really focus their messaging on we're going to be the most disciplined. We're going to be incredibly hardworking. We're going to be the most unified team in the Premier League under Unai Emery. And, and you start to convey that we're going to be a hard team. We're going to be a hard-fought team at that. And that is what I think Unai Emery's teams are when they're at their best. They're very well prepared. They are have a ton of information, but they're very disciplined. And they play as a unit. And they know where they need to be. And they follow their assignments. And they fill in when they need to, where they need to, exactly as they've been instructed. And that will take some time. I don't think he is going to be a everything's clicking right away. I think there will be some very unfair articles early on about like, this is the guy you wanted to bring in because I think Steven Gerrard to some extent did get an easier ride. I think he's a popular Mm -hmm. guy. I think the media likes him. I think English media especially enjoys him from his time as a player. And so I I don't think he got nearly as harsh criticism. If you reverse this, I think Unai Emery would have been shown the door far sooner uh, if, if the situation had been the same. So I think for the club, it's important for them to handle some of the messaging. I think for the supporters, it's important for them to see that maybe this season is purely about not getting relegated, but figuring out who fits with what he wants to do. And then you strengthen in January, you strengthen more in the summer, and then you have a team that's more in his image to start that next campaign. I really think it's about avoiding the sunk cost fallacy. We've already brought in all these players. We've already spent all this money. We've got these attacking players. Yes, you can have all the discipline you want, but you still have to score a bunch of goals. I think right there it's a poison chalice. And and I don't feel like that's what they would have done, bringing him in with that sort of messaging. So I, I think if there is an embracing of his ideas and his philosophy, as I said in the very beginning, I, I think this is an incredibly smart uh, signing by Villa to bring in a person who – doesn't want to be uh, Roger Federer or Rafa Nadal. Maybe he does. Maybe secretly he does. But in the end, is Thomas Berdich? Is that his name? Berdich, yes. There we go. I thought you were an expert, Taylor. I mean, I I was. It wasn't Wikipedia at all. That was right in front of me. Uh, But Ah. like, I, I just, I think that there is a freedom to not being the favorite. And if you don't have the expectation of we're going to compete toe to toe with Liverpool, if the hope is we're going to grind our way to a one nil win and frustrate them along the way, that feels very much a thing he is capable of. I'm setting him up as this complete underdog who's sort of Mourinho in his defensiveness. And I I don't think that is fair either. Uh, Graham, it it is fair to say that Villa, with the amount of money they have and the the talented squad that they do have, as you've already said, it's not as though he's always going to be defensive, though, right? Like, against teams that I think he feels are there for the taking, we will see a more aggressive attacking Villa. Is that fair to say? Yeah, you would think so. And I I would draw that comparison back to to the one I was making earlier with with Villarreal and the the Champions Mm -hmm. League. Yes, in certain matches, Villarreal, where they, they sat deep and they played in the counter-attack and they were very good at that. But there are other matches, and, and even against high-caliber teams like Bayern Munich in that game that I mentioned, the first leg of the quarterfinal, which they won 1-0, they played a very possession-heavy game. They, they controlled large periods of that game. Sunai Emery does have that sort of approach in his arsenal, no pun intended. Um, and I think we will see some of that at Aston Villa because obviously Aston Villa fans were got a bit tired with Steven Gerrard towards the end and, and, and just the dull football that, that, that he produced. I think it's a smart appointment from Aston Villa because, as I mentioned earlier, you can look at that Villa squad and, and you can see how the building blocks are there for Unai Emery to do something with it. But they've not just gone for a like-for-like a like like appointment. They've brought in someone who is a lot more adaptable. That was one of the, th- the the most frustrating things about Villa under Steven Gerrard was he was basically just doing the same thing in every every single game, not really making many changes, certainly in terms of the 
the approach Steven Gerrard plays with these these narrow dual number 10s. I think a lot of Villa fans wanted a lot more width. He never really did that. Unai Emery's not going to be like that. If if something isn't going to work is, isn't working, he's going to change it up. He's going to change the formation. He's going to bring in new players. One thing that he's done at pretty much every club he's been at as manager is he brings in youth. So Aston Villa can expect some some young players to to come through. Players like Jacob Ramsey have already broken through, so I'd imagine Unai Emery will will like that as well. I just think it's a very shrewd appointment by Aston Villa. I do think Aston Villa need to sort out some things similar, not not similar, but not quite to the same extent that I said about Arsenal. They do need to figure some things out above Unai Emery. I think they have lacked yeah. a clear vision over, over the last few years. So uh, Johan Lange was, was brought in from Copenhagen as, as, a, as their sporting director in 2020. I don't really know much about him. I did some research on him. It doesn't really feel like he has put his stamp on this squad. I don't know what sort of team he wants Aston Villa to be. Christian Perslow is, is the CEO and NW, uh, NW, NSWE, excuse me, that's an acronym, are the, are the owners. And I don't really know if they're all on, on the same page. And that's not to say that they don't get on. I'm not saying that there's friction between them. It's just that. I, I don't see a coherent strategy between all those parties and yeah. they need to bring all that together and they need to settle on a clear vision. And going from Smith to Gerrard gave Aston Villa, Dean Smith that is before Stephen Gerrard, that gave them a bit of managerial whiplash because they're they're not really similar as coaches. And I think Emery is now closer to Gerrard than Smith, but it's still a progression. So I, I like that. Maybe this is the start of the vision now, but it feels like Villa need to see something through and actually build something that lasts more than just a season at yeah. a time. And maybe Emery is that guy to help them do that. Yeah, I would agree. And, and I think one thing he has going for him is that it doesn't seem, not to say that Jared was like unpopular or disliked in the locker room, but I, I don't feel like there was this, it's a big blow that he was gone. It doesn't feel like the club or the players were sort of like, ah, oh, we, we didn't do enough to make, make the boss successful. It does sort of seem like they're maybe ready for the next thing. And so if you get a team that, that sort of wants someone to come in and tell them what to do and run some, some drills that make them feel really prepared for games, I think that could also be a really ideal scenario for him. There is definitely a situation in which it doesn't click, he's not able to get his ideas across, and they really do struggle, and this looks like a disaster. That could definitely happen. But for Villa fans who need reason for optimism, I'm going to give them that now, because here is my my crazy theory. Uh, Ooh, not I like even crazy. theory, just, just uh, I've, got an, I've got an idea, Graham, for how things could go for Villa this season, and what I think could be interesting. Uh, Unai Emery, as we've talked about, wins the Europa League. He gets to the Europa League final if he doesn't win it, Uh, which to me means he's a very good knockout manager. And he has won uh, plenty of domestic cups as well, which to me uh, is indicative that he likes to win knockout round competitions, but also is the manager who has so much preparation, watches those 17 games against Man United, that he has his teams super prepared for those elimination games. Now, I do think Villa have the, the the strength and talent to to avoid relegation fairly comfortably. So does it matter if they're 17th or 15th or 14th? I, I'm not sure that it does. What does matter is that we have the World Cup, so you've got a break there. And I think as long as they get some results and are comfortable heading into the World Cup, coming out of that World Cup, most teams are going to ha- de- be dealing with injuries, with fatigue, and you're bigger clubs are going to be focused on the title or the top four. And maybe, just maybe, they will not be very focused on the FA Cup. And this time around, uh, Premier League teams enter after the World Cup. They're entering, I think it's the Premier League teams come in in January for the third round. And I can absolutely see a situation in which between now and then, if he's gotten buy-in, he's got players on board, he's got enough of the squad doing exactly what he wants, that he can have them ready to go for the FA Cup. And let's say he does make a run. Let's say they do uh, go deep in that tournament. Even if they just make the final and they're playing against Man City, who have already qualified, I believe that gets them into the Europa League. I don't know if you have to win to qualify or if second place will do it, but let's go that way then. Let's say he, he somehow manages to win the FA Cup. Now you've got Villa in the Europa League, which is absolutely a thing that they would have been targeting when they first appointed Steven Gerrard, and that feels exactly of the level that they want to be, where they can bring in people because you've got European games, there is stability there, and Unai Emery knows how to win the Europa League, so you never know what could happen. But that is my sort of absolutely, like, 
if everything clicks and is perfect, that is the ideal scenario, I think, for Villa this season. I know it's outlandish, Graham, but uh, you never know. You never know. So I just Googled who Aston Villa have. I know the FA Cup hasn't started yet, but the EFL Cup has started. The Carabao Cup has started. And I just Googled who that they, who they've got in that competition. Would you like to guess who they've got in that competition, Taylor Rockwell? It's uh, something that might make you feel a little bit nervous. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> the, Do you know who how? they've got before that? Do you know who they've got before that game? Unai Emery's no. first home Premier League game. Do you, would you like to guess what op- opponent that is for that game? They've got him twice. They've got him yep, twice. Back to back oh. in four days. <laughs> Manchester United gonna give Unai Emery. I see. I don't know. I, I think things are improving under Eric Ten Hag. So I think that'll be fascinating because that's two two managers who uh, you, you like a plan. Your, you, you dropped your theory there that Unai Emery is going to win every cup competition with Aston Villa very very quickly when I uh, I put it to you that they have Manchester United in, in the third round of the EFL Cup. Uh, see, but see, no, I think I think not the league. I, I trust I trust Man United in the league. I think in the cup, I don't think Eric Ten Hag is going to care that much about it. Maybe he'll want silverware, but uh, you know what? I'm fine with it. Because uh, if you win the league cup, do you get Europa League too? Or is it uh, you just get like a pat on the back and here's $12 or whatever I the think you get Creative Carabao, the energy drink. I think that's what the prize is. Yikes. <laughs> that's, that's what Jamie Vardy's dream. <laughs> it is. I know it sounds like I'm being disparaging. I'm not joking in that i believe the prize for winning the league cup is still like 150,000 pounds which is i don't know less than most or a lot of mm. premier league players make in a week uh so i don't know how much of a motivation that yeah. is for Ma- them but man city always won that trophy and that mm-hmm. is basically their 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 parking tickets for the season 150,000 pounds i think they can i don't think they're that bothered about the money yeah, probably not. Probably not so much. So uh, maybe Unai Emery wins the FA Cup and then is in the Europa League. Far more likely is that he uh, stabilizes Villa by the end of the season. They stay in the Premier League. Uh, he figures out who fits and who doesn't. Ideally, they have some more clarity at the top. So there's a streamlined operation process. And then the recruitment goes well, and they are a stronger team to start next season. Uh, but either way, I think it sounds like we're both pretty excited for uh, life under Unai Emery at Aston Villa. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Villa fans seem to be, I saw someone, or was it on a podcast, it may have been on Twitter, but basically the gist of what they were saying was that this is the most excited they've been about a managerial appointment yeah. since Martin O'Neill went back in 2006. Yeah. So yeah. there, there is a lot of excitement at Villa around Unai Emery. And, and, uh, I guess that sets him up relatively well because from there you would, you would, you would guess he would have a better chance of establishing that connection that he never had at at Arsenal with the fans and also the kind of connection that Gerrard definitely didn't have with the Aston Villa fans if they're excited about him coming in then it feels like they're kind of ready to embrace him so uh, again just feeding into this is this is where he's going to be an abject disaster and he's going to be out of a job by uh, by Christmas because we've talked him up so much but just looking at the evidence that's in front of us it it does kind of feel like a good appointment and that is another reason um, why I believe that. It it really did. I heard that quote too. It really did bum me out a little bit uh, to hear to hear that. Just because it's a sign of what things have been for Villa that like we haven't been this excited about an appointment since Martin O'Neill. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> that's not quite the like we've been this appointment. He was about good at times. He was he was good at. Oh no, I understand that. It's just like it's not Zinedine Zidane or Carlo Ancelotti. It's just sort of. And then you look at the people in between. Yeah. Coulier, McLeish, yikes, Alex McLeish, Lambert, Sherwood, Remy Gard, I forgot that happened, uh, Roberto Di Matteo, Steve Bruce, Dean Smith, Steven Gerrard, and now Unai Emery. Uh, if we are going to be maybe slightly more balanced, what do you think it looks like if things aren't going well? So you talked about the communication issues. Uh, is it basically just more disjointed performances, them really not having many ideas about yeah. how to attack and kind of getting – maybe it's just like losing every game 2-0 or 3-1 to one and they only have like the one shot on target or something like that? Yeah, because there is a bit of overlap between what Stephen Gerrard wanted Aston Villa to be and kind of the identity of Unai Emery as, as a coach. Obviously, he's been much more – successful and effective and as uh, 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 implementing that over over his career the the danger is that Aston Villa just kind of repeat the cycle that actually yes Steven Gerrard was an issue but the squad is just unable to to play the type of football that Unai Emery wants that the communication is is, is a problem once again that recruitment is a, is a, is a problem we've obviously highlighted some of the issues that Aston Villa have had 
higher up the, the food chain with the, the sporting director and the owners and, and, and a lack of cohesion, the danger is that all those problems yeah. kind of congeal and, and Unai Emery just gets weighed down by it all. From his point of view, I mean, obviously he doesn't want that. He very much wants, he, he feels like he's got a point to prove in the Premier League. But his reputation in Spain is so strong that it feels like even if that happens at Aston Villa, he'll, he'll probably walk into a decent La Liga job. So mm-hmm. it feels like a little bit like a free hit for him at Aston Villa. But as I say, he has he has a point to prove. So um, yeah, he wants it to go well, stating the obvious. Here's what I'll say in, in summary. I think if you see Villa concede and and a defender yells at the other defender and the other defender like ho- holds up his hands like, yeah, I know, I know, that's a sign that it's working. Whereas if you see Villa concede and then everybody's just screaming at each other because no one is entirely <laughs> sure whose fault it was or what they're supposed to be doing, that's a sign it's not working. Still going to concede goals. Just how they respond to it will be an indicator to me, uh, which is – a pessimistic but slightly optimistic way to end things, but I'm good with that. Graham Ruthven, thank you for talking all about Villa and Gerard and Unai Emery with me this afternoon, it is now. <laughs> thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Listeners, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed this version of The Big Thing. We will be back next week with more co-hosts, but not all of them, because, Graham, we are without you for the first three days. Uh, I will miss you dearly. Uh, I've talked to you pretty much every single day this week. Uh, it feels like we had this connection, and now you're, now you're leaving me. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're swapping out co-hosts. It's, it's, it's a rotation. It's like me using manager, coach, and, and, and boss in my articles. Now we will swap in uh, Joe Lowry and, and, and Ryan Bailey for a Graham Ruthven. So I don't know who wins out of that equation. Definitely the listener, I would say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's me for not having to hear as many tennis analogies, though Ryan is more than capable <laughs> of them himself. Listeners, thanks again. Talk to you soon. 